Father, thanks for this chance today, a chance to worship, a chance to fellowship, a chance to reconnect with each other, a chance to be strengthened, to face the battle that this week will bring. And I ask, Lord God, that you would empower this body of believers and everybody of believers in this town, that they would follow and desperately seek after Jesus, and that, they would, that we would also honor and, and actually live out the song we just sang, and we would love each other. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, everyone. Some of you are convinced it's a good morning, and some of you are hedging your bets. And some of you are late. Anyway, so. Yeah, some are early, some are late. Oh, man, the church had a, well, the Operation Christmas Child team led a garage sale yesterday, and we sold Gretchen and James's garage. Oh, no, that's not how that worked out at all. The Grams donated their garage and let us use it, and I think they filled up like their entire property with things. And uh, so I just wanted to say thanks to the Grams, thanks for Tony and Sissy, the Operation Christmas Child team. Uh, they raised over $1,900 yesterday, and there's still a few things coming in. So we needed, we needed 1500 to send 150 boxes, uh, Operation Christmas Child boxes, in November. So we have enough for that now and a little bit more. So that's pretty exciting. There's still a lot that's coming, and Christy will be talking about that, but she's in Kids Church today leading music, and uh, so I kind of want to go back there and harass her, but I am scared of her, so I won't do that. <laughs> that's right. A couple of things I need, needed to announce today, and I just, uh, I just wanted to say it myself so you could see my face and feel sorry for me as I say them. Oh, I'm just kidding. First of all, the next two Sundays, we would love to see you in church but we ain't going to be here. What's going on? We're going to be at Evers Park in Green River next Sunday for our church picnic and river baptism. And then the Sunday after that, we're going to be at Bunning Park for uh, Church in the Park with now eight other churches. Another church has joined up. Green River Assembly of God is going to join us uh, that, that day, so that's really cool. Um, Kimmy, didn't I see Kimmy back there? You know, if you guys want to put together an inside connection table at that church in the park, I'm trying to get a few folks to do that, but I'm about to say it right now, I'm going to forget. And so, <laughs> all right. Um, so, Evers Park is by Expedition Island. It's the one on the other side. Yes. Um, and then Bunning Park the second week. Okay, next Sunday, church picnic. This is the one, look at my face. Michael has needs. Ordinary faith has needs. So the, the church is, pro, is pro, providing the, the main course and the paper goods and all those kind of things, but we need help with sides. We don't have a list for sides. We just need people to bring sides, preferably things I like. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. You know, it could be chips. Whatever goes with, with burgers and dogs, it's just a, a, a grill, bar, grill and burgers and dogs is what we're going to be doing. Uh, there, the list is... <laughs> Now, my personal list is just all cheesecake, just cherry cheesecake, and I'm just kidding, I can't eat cheesecake right now, but anyway, so that's a good, so there's a list on the table, there are a few, we, we're asking people to bring sodas this year, so we, in the past we provided drinks, but last year we just asked people to bring sodas because the task got pretty large, we're expecting a couple of hundred people, like 200 people, so there's a list of sodas, we have a couple left that we need filled out, we need help setting up and tearing down. Okay, and there's a list back there you can sign up for. Uh, what we normally do is get a trailer, and we, we have access to a trailer. We fill it up either Friday or Saturday and then use it for two weeks. Okay, so that's kind of, so I need help setting up, tearing down, drinks, uh, maybe someone's, when I talk about setup, I mean setting up the tables, like laying out the food and that kind of stuff. Okay, so there's a sign-up list in the back. Uh, Christy, you could also touch base with my wife, the smart one, um, and she would know. Okay, you got that? Everybody's got it. Church picnic, you got it. Church picnic. Say church picnic. Church picnic. I'm bringing stuff. I'm bringing stuff. There you go. Awesome. Good deal. I'll be there, and I know we won't be here. Okay? All right. Uh, now, we also have some people who are being baptized that day. So how, what we do is we have our service, and then we, we go to the river, we uh, baptize people. Sometimes I hold them under too long, and then we have a resurrection. Yep. <clears throat> <laughs> Just kidding. Um, so, yeah, that's right. That's right. 
We want to wash the flesh right out of them. Anyway, so, um, so if, you, if you would like to be baptized, if you'd like to take this, this step of public commitment, uh, at the end of, so when my message is done, we normally do two songs. I'm going to be over there, and uh, I would like you to come over there right after the message is done, and I will tell you what to expect so you'll be ready for next Sunday. Okay? Got it? Okay, good deal. All right. Okay. Uh, now I'm lost. Okay. Oh, now I'm found. Jesus found me. Now we're going to get to the sermon. Everyone's okay so far, though, right? Okay, good deal. Then smile. You look angry. Have you ever noticed that when you let your face relax, you look angry? I drive by people. I know I look the same way, but I don't get to have to look at myself. But you're driving down the road, and you look at someone and go, oh, man, Rick's angry today. What's wrong with Rick? Just kidding. So, so we're back in our series, So Simple, and today, because of the theme I've used for this thing, which is kind of a, a sports-type theme, the, the title or, the, of this message is called The Game. The Game. But, let me start by saying, this ain't no game, okay? <laughs> what we're getting into today is some serious stuff, all right? We are in a game, we are in a war is what we're really in, and we have to learn as Christians to not play games. Too often we do play games. Too often we make ministry, church, and serving dramatic about ourselves, all kinds of things. And what I want to look at today is how to look at this thing, what we're supposed to do. Last week we talked about the team, how we're supposed to work together to accomplish the mission that Jesus gave us to accomplish, okay? And so when I say that, let me start with a couple things. This is not about some things. As we get into today's message, this is not about, church is not about, ministry is not about, it's not about your comfort. A lot of folks leave, reason, leave church over that. They didn't, they didn't like it, it wasn't comfortable, it was, let's grant it, sometimes we talk about things that are the opposite of comfortable, Okay? I just love those Sundays. Just kidding. One of the things I believe the Western church has got to understand is that we have been conditioned by a century of marketing that's entire purpose was to make us consumers. That was its entire purpose. There was an actual plan laid down. Michael, your conspiracy theory, it's only a conspiracy theory. It ain't true. And there's historical proof on this one. And what I mean is that for, a, over, for a, over 100 years now, there has been a move to make you and I consumers. You cannot consume your way into Christianity, into pleasing God, into obedience. That, those are diametrically opposed ideas. We are not consumers. Locusts are consumers. And they leave devastation in their wake. We are not consumers. Why am I telling you that? We have to stop looking at church as a product that we consume. Do you understand that? We have to stop looking at church as a product that we consume. We have to stop looking back in our history, our experiences with God... And going, you know, when I was 15, I really liked that youth camp. You know, my first church was really cool. I really liked that. You know, I really liked this ministry that we did. Let's take the favorite things that I have from my church past and let's do them now in this season and this time. Here's the problem. You cannot bring back the past. I'm over 50 years of age. My life, where the life I grew up in, the world I grew up in, is incredibly different than the, the, the world anyone 30 years old grew up in. Very different from the world that my children grew up in. And I kind of have like a split generation. When you have eight kids over 20 years, you kind of bridge into different generations. I don't recommend it, by the way. <clears throat> but I, my boys are awesome, so I'm, I am happy about it. My, my point is, and this is what... So if you're still thinking about ordinary faith, I'll give you a reason to leave right now. I don't mean to, but you should know where I'm coming from. I, I'm pretty frank about it. And here's the deal. I thank God for the history of the church and Christendom that got us to this point. I thank God for it. 
I thank God for my heritage. I thank God for what I've learned. Praise God for the church of the 50s, the 70s, the 90s. It got us here. It will not get us to tomorrow. This is what we cannot bring back the things we have nostalgic connection to and then accomplish the purpose and will of God. We have to ask God what his fresh bread, his ideas are for today. Because we are ministering to a generation that is so far removed from what I knew at their age. And we are ministering not just to them, but they're having children. And we are ministering to them. We have to be a church for them. We cannot be the church that stands up and says, hey, our way or the highway. We can't be that. We can be, here's the word, it's faithful, it's true, and Jesus represents in every generation, not just mine of the 70s and 80s. Does that make sense? So you, under, you need to understand that about me. I appreciate where we've been, but I know we need God's direction to go forward. We cannot simply reproduce what has happened in the past. That is hard. And here's what it means. It means that we're always trying stuff that fails. Do you hear me? At Ordinary Faith, our leadership, and if you are in a place where you lead, I will give you, we will give you permission to fail. Why? Because the only way to find the path forward is to fail into it. Does that make sense? If we're, if we're afraid to fail, we will never succeed. Okay? You with me still? All right. Now, let's hop in to this reality that we are in this game, this war, so to speak. Jesus said in John 16, 33, he said, I've told you all this, that you may have peace in me. Here on the earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. How do you like that promise from Jesus? In me, you have this, but in the world, it's going to be rough. But then he goes on. He doesn't leave you hanging. He says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. As I, as I read Jesus' passage in, in uh, John 16, 33, and think of Jesus' declaration to Peter when he said, Hey, Peter, on this rock I'm going to build my church, my ecclesia. And he was tapping into a, a, a word that came from the Greek world. And, and when I think of this, a couple things came to me. First of all, the world you live in today, you would not, it would not be like this if, if this guy hadn't shown up. What guy? Jesus? Well, I'm getting to Jesus. But before Jesus, there was another king of kings on earth. His name was Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great, because of his resources and his army, took over the known world. And he changed it. And I believe he changed it through ecclesia. Which were little communities of people that took his culture, which is a Greek culture. Alexander the Great wanted the whole world to be Greek. He thought anyone who wasn't Greek was a barbarian, just like the Jews thought that anyone that wasn't a Jew was a Philistine or a Gentile. And so he thought that anyone who wasn't Greek was like a hillbilly, backwoods kind of person, all right? They're just laughing because you guys know I'm kind of hillbilly. So what he did was he had these people that went out and they taught, demonstrated, and lived a Greek culture in the middle of a barbarian world. He won all the battles and then sent out his assemblies to teach the world the culture of Greece. Now we just read John 6, 16, 33. And what did Jesus say? I've overcome. I've won. Alexander the Great was a king of earthly kings. Jesus Christ is the king of all kings, past, present, future, all times, eternal, natural, supernatural. He's the king of all kings, okay? And he won all the battles, won them all. And then he says to Peter, I'm going to build my church, my ecclesia, and they're going to go out and they're going to teach the world, I'm comprising a few passages here, the culture of my kingdom, which is not... Greece, which is not Jewish, but it's the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. There's a new way to live. There's a new law 
Things are done differently in the kingdom of heaven than they are on earth. And Jesus says, I'm going to put a group of people here to teach that culture to a barbarian, lost, hopeless world. That's why this matters. We're not just here, just huddle up on Sundays and go, man, I sure hope it doesn't get too bad this week. That's kind of what we do, isn't it? Come on, pray for me. I I don't want to have another bad week. That's because we think we live at peacetime and just get inconvenienced by the enemy every so often. And that's not the case at all. We're in the midst of an eternal war. And it's a miracle that we ever have a good day. Does that make sense? So we get that into context, we will realize that there's a game that we're in, a war that's going on, and this is our business. This is what we do, and God has a solution for it. Jesus is the solution for it. We as the church in America, we're not some weird subculture, even though that's the narrative. Uh, We are a victorious culture, representing a victorious kingdom. We have to stop thinking of ourselves as losers as pathetic, as in need of rescue. Christians don't need rescued. We need released. We need empowered and released. And we are an advanced force for the kingdom that's coming. So, let's talk about your objective, the playing field, and your enemy. The objective, the playing field, and your enemy. Why am I here? Why doesn't Jesus just... Whip me right out of here. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is Jesus' declaration from Isaiah of what he came to do. I'm reading this to you because Jesus told his disciples that we are supposed to do what he came to do. We're the extension of his work. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Peace be with you, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. So Jesus told us his mission. And then he says, that's your mission. So this is our objective as captured in Luke chapter 4. First thing we do is we report the news. We don't make the news. We don't have to fix the news. We don't have to convince somebody of the news. Be free, man. Just report the news. What's the news? Well, the news is good news. You have won the celestial, eternal, supernatural lottery. You've won. Because God has looked upon us in favor. The God of the universe, the creator of all, sees you, knows you, and loves you. There was nothing you could do. You couldn't even get an appointment with God. Who do you call? Who do you text? I don't think he has a Facebook. If he does, it's probably fake. You you had no access to God. There was nothing we could do, but now you do have access. You have access to the greatest of all, personally and officially. Personally and officially. You can talk to God as your friend, and you can meet with God as your king. All of this, why? Because you're so awesome? No, because God is so good. You see, the good news, it's not about what you are ashamed of but what you've been forgiven. It's not about what you have to do, because that's religion. You have to do this. It's about what you get to do. It's not about what you earn, but it's about what you receive. It's, It's not about what you have done, but it's always about what Christ has done. That's that's all part of the good news. And so we're the reporters. We, that's our job. We just go around and tell people, man, it's good. My life is good. The things that are happening are good because my God is good. Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, there's some things in my life that really aren't that good. That's true. God's good. Your circumstances may not be so great, but God is faithful. And he takes terrible circumstances and works out really good things. So the first thing we do is we report the news. When I was a kid, uh, there, I don't know if they still do this or not, but uh, because I don't pay attention, and I'm out in the neighborhood, if they did do this, they would die of exhaustion. But kids would ride around on bicycles and zing papers through people's plate glass windows. I mean, front porch. That's why they wouldn't give me the job. I, was, I had that look. I had that look. 
That's us. We're the, we're the paper, the, the paper persons, paper guys, paper girls. I don't know. But so we're, we're the ones going out, zinging out the news. The good news is God is for you and not against you. We report the news. Second, we represent the kingdom. I cannot overexpress this reality. There are no slave camps or POW camps in the kingdom of God. There are no schools for the blind. There would be no one to go to those kingdoms, to those schools in the kingdom of God. There's no overwhelming stress and anxiety in the kingdom of God. And God, write this down, God is not mad at you in the kingdom of God. This is the time of the Lord's favor. You're like, Michael, yes, but God is mad at sin and all this. Yes, yes. If you despise God, yeah, you got a problem with God. I'm going to assume that you are looking for God. Those who seek Him will find Him. If you want an appointment with God, His office door is open. Do you understand? God is not mad at you anymore. This is the kingdom. This is what God, this is God's plan. Everything in the kingdom of God works almost dead opposite from everything on this earth. We live in this, this earth that's ever diminishing. Everything's running out. There's always lack. But in the kingdom of God, there's always plenty. We live in a world that has no hope. Everyone's despair is filled with despair. Suicide rates are climbing. Despair rates are climbing. Depression rates are through the roof. But in the kingdom of God, there's always hope and freedom, and and, and release of anxiety. Because this is how the kingdom of God works. In this world, there's sickness and and broke uh, poverty and all these things. The kingdom of God, there is plenty. As a child of God, your job is to bring the kingdom of God to earth. That was the first thing Jesus, Jesus taught us in his prayer. May it be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are the kingdom bringers. Does that make sense? That's what we're here to do. So we represent a kingdom that's coming, even though we live in a kingdom that's fading. This kingdom is fading. It's less and less every day. And the kingdom that's coming is more and more every day. We need to live for the right kingdom. We need to demonstrate things as Christians. We should have hope when others despair. We should have a God when everyone else has none. So we report the good news. We represent the kingdom. We restore the broken. We should leave things better than we found them. We should leave things better than we found. And this should have such a practical outworking. I was in the desert the other day walking my dog, chasing my dog, same thing. (laughs) Someone had been out there uh, shooting things. Imagine that, shooting stuff in the desert of Wyoming. All over the pathways, all these shotgun shells. That annoys me. I love my Wyoming. Why can't you take care of Wyoming, you know? Let Colorado do what they're going to do. Let us take care of Wyoming. I'm serious. My sons live in Colorado Springs. I'm sorry. Little rant, little rant. There's all these beautiful areas down there. I was out walking with him one day a couple years ago. The main paths were fine. I looked over the side of the hill, and it was trash for like hundreds of yards. Just trash. It made me mad. That should be part of getting to live here as you pick up after yourself. But anyway, that's just me. I'm over 50. What can I say? We should leave things better than we found them. When we walk into a room as Christians, because you are not just carrying around your spirit. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. When you walk into a room, the atmosphere of that room should change. Michael, that's a lot of pressure on me. It's zero pressure on you. It's 100% pressure on Holy Spirit inside of you. And he ain't scared. We should leave things better than we found them. Our city, this is something that's got, I really feel like God is stirring up in my heart and and I don't have any full answers yet. But I long for the day that the city of Rock Springs looks at ordinary faith and churches like us, not just us, but kingdom thinking people like us and says, I am so glad you are here. I may not agree with what you, what you say and teach, but I am so glad you're here. That, that, that's the day I'm looking forward to. Why? This city should be better because Christians live in it. Because we are all kingdom people. Freedom should become more common and stronger. 
I mean, I think of everything. I, I see Christians involved in businesses, involved in the supply chain, all the, all the things that are fundamental to a functioning society in our city. I, I want to see Christians in those places making those places better. And that's what I want you to do with your job, your career, your business, whatever it is you do. I want you to make it better. Why? That's the kingdom. That's what we do. We take a world that's fading and we shine light and renewal and abundance on it from our kingdom and we make this place better. That's our objective. Part of it. Okay? We, we tell the news. We represent the kingdom. We restore the things that are broken. By the way, we don't deal in pity. We dispense hope. We don't deal in pity. We dispense hope. I think that's important to remember. And then... Jude says this, You must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Show mercy to still others, but do so with great caution, hating the sins that contaminate their lives. We're here to rescue the perishing. Everything is at stake. Every system in the world can fail. And if the church of Jesus would just do their job, we could save millions of people, maybe billions around the world, if we just do what we're here to do. Which is what? Rescue the perishing. It is appointed unto men once to die, and after this the judgment. Every human being has an appointment with God. The vast majority of those people are not prepared for that appointment. They do not have their defense attorney lined up for their day before the judge. And that's what we're here to do is rescue people. Because we have to remember that this battle is larger than our lifetimes. You see, my dad's... Sorry. My dad's generation had a mission. My father's generation, mother's generation had a mission. And they did everything they could do to fill out that mission. And then they have reached the end of the point, not, not all of them, but many of them have reached the point where either they're starting to pass away. Either way, they are handing the baton to the next generation. And my job, my whole lifetime in ministry is to hand the baton to the next generation. And teach them to hand it to the next generation. Why? Because this war is bigger than my lifetime. It was larger than my dad's lifetime. It's larger than my grandson's lifetime. And we have to think larger than just our own little microcosm at this particular moment in Rock Springs, Wyoming. We have to think globally and eternally because every person on this planet is two things. They are deeply, radically, insanely loved by God, and they're going to meet Him one day, ready or not. And our job is to make sure everyone that we can is ready. What they do with the good news, that's their choice and what they do. That's what we, it's not our job to make people do anything. Our job is to report and give them the gift that they need to be ready. Make sense? Fair? All right. So that's, that's our objective. I realize that there's always conflict between people in ministries, on teams. I get it. And those kind of things have to be ironed out. And I understand that. But let us not lose focus on the objective just because we might be struggling with each other. If we didn't struggle with each other, there would be something wrong with us. We would need to be in a home of some kind. Us having conflict is healthy. It helps us grow. I think Jesus, when he put the church together, he goes, hey, let's put them in situations where they have to trust me. And they have to do things that feel outside the norm. So our, those are objectives as presented to Jesus. Now, let's talk about the playing field. I don't know why, as I was trying to memorize the main points of this message, I was uh, seeing a football field. I was seeing a Raiders football field. It's like, why, Lord? We know that the Jesus lives closer to Dallas. No, I'm just kidding. That was a joke. That was a joke. 
I don't have a team. No, I don't have a team. I promise I don't have a team. In fact, I haven't even watched an NFL game in two years. So anyway, Matthew 16, 17. I'm going to read this out of the message. So Matthew, Jesus says this. Jesus came back to Peter. He says, God bless you, Simon, son of Jonah. You didn't get that answer out of books or from teachers. My Father in heaven, God himself, let you in on this secret of who I really am. And now I'm getting ready to tell you who you are, really are. I love that. That's a great translation. Well, paraphrase. You are Peter, a rock. This is the rock on which I will put together my church, a church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep out. People talk about the world and how challenging it is. And they doubt God's goodness because the world is so broken. They doubt that God is good because they see so many things happen in the world that they're thinking to themselves, if I were God, I wouldn't allow that to happen. That means if you were God, you would not allow anyone to make choices. And we're all kind of control freaks anyway, so that fits right in with who we are. But here's the thing. I'm sorry, apparently I'm getting alerts from Ring now, uh, so I just lost my train of thought. Sorry about that. Here's the thing for me. I know what happened to the world. I've read the book, literally. And I know that God created it and everything was good. And I know that when he put Adam in it and he gave Adam the task of stewarding this thing, God, that Adam ended up rebelling against God. And what happened was he brought sin into the world and he corrupted the world. Last night I made T-bone steaks. None of them hit the ground. I ate them. They, well, I didn't eat them. I ate one, which was too much. I ate it. It was delicious. How much dirt does it take to ruin a really good steak? How much corruption does it take to ruin a perfectly great and perfect good world? And so Adam ruined this thing. And, and so the world is corrupt now. The prince of darkness is in charge. God is, is over it all, but Adam gave the keys to this earth to Satan. So when people tell me, oh man, the world is so bad, if I were God, I wouldn't let these things happen. What I think to myself is, I am surprised that there is ever anything good going on. Because I know a lot of people, and, and barring the folks in this room, of course, they're not awesome. I know how people are. And, and a lot of folks would argue, no, I think people are basically good. Paul argues with you in Romans 3. Read it for yourself. I, I think that I am amazing. In fact, the, fact the, the reality that good things do happen to me is, is insane proof that there's a God who loves us and cares about us. Yeah. You ever seen that, uh, the movie I read, the books, uh, The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? We live in the world under the rule of the white witch. Everyone's hiding, everyone's afraid, no one has hope, and joys are limited. That's the world we live in. And, and so I am always amazed that good things do happen. And so when people accuse God, I, of course, want to defend him. But, you know, the point is in Isaiah, the, the writer of Isaiah says, the people in darkness have seen a great light. And Jesus says in Matthew 5, he says, you are the light of of the world. So yes, as Jesus talks about his church, the playing field is dark. I'm sorry, Raiders fans. I'm sure it's a great team. Some, one of my best friends is a Raiders fan, so I don't mean any insults there. But I, as, I, as I was just, it was funny to me that that's what popped into my mind. We are on this field. We have the power. We are on the offense. The kingdom of hell is the one on the defense. That's what we have to remember. The enemy shakes at the power of Jesus that's alive in you. That's right. 
That's why he's trying to stop you from praying. That's why he's trying to stop you from having a community of believers around you. Stop you from being a part of a, of, of a vibrant fellowship that's true to the Word and the Spirit. He's trying to stop you because he's terrified of you. Because in the end, he cannot stop us. And that's what we need to remember. Our job, it's a step on the playing field, push the enemy out the back of the stadium. That's what we're here to do. So we have the power to do. So... It's, uh, it's rough, but the energy of heaven and our mission is aggressive. We need to see ourselves as invaders here. We need, Jesus won the war, and we're invading every aspect of our society with the goodness of God. Not control, not trying to take over, not trying to force our versions of things on people, no but to give people the gifts of Jesus and what he's given us, okay? So, that's the playing field. Uh, I'm running out of time, so let me jump ahead just a little bit. Your opponent, 1 Peter chapter 5. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. And remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering that you are. Do you believe that text? The church in the Western world today needs to believe in the devil again. Okay? Michael, you're so old-fashioned. You don't know the half of it. (laughs) We need, we need to believe again. And, and one of the things we need, to believe, we need to realize is that the enemy isn't as big a threat as we often think he is to us directly. What do I mean by that? Your actual worst enemy isn't the devil, it's you. You sabotage yourself. I sabotage myself. Okay? What do I mean by that? I, I think what we do is we give the enemy a foothold, a beachhead in our lives when we walk away from God and into our beloved sins. We all have beloved sins. Just because your sins are different than my sins doesn't mean that yours are worse than mine. I like to think that because it makes me sleep at night more comfortably, but that is not true. And, And we need to realize that we're our own greatest threat. The enemy cannot attack you if you stay close to the shepherd. You hear me? You stay close to the shepherd, he can't bother you. You start wandering from the shepherd, he starts to bother you, you turn around to go back to the shepherd, you find out the shepherd followed you. And he's right there. I don't think the enemy is our biggest problem, I think we're our biggest problem. But I will say this, the spiritual realities of our day, the supernatural realities of our day, are staggering. Meaning that, I don't know how you're going to take this, but here it is anyway. I'm encountering actual demonic influences more than ever. And I'm walking into situations where there, there is an actual oppression from the dark side, okay, that's going on. More and more. So much so that I'm like, I'm like saying, after 28 years of ministry, I've never seen this before. Now, Is that scary? No, it's not. Because the first question that comes to my mind is this. How did the enemy get a foothold here? That's the question. You see, you erase the beachhead, you evict the enemy. Does that make sense? And so we do have an enemy, but he is constantly looking, prying, and lying to get a foothold in your life so that he can destroy something, preferably you, entirely. But he can't do it without a foothold, without a beachhead. So pursue the shepherd. Follow Jesus. Now, how does the enemy work? I guess I should kind of tell you how to be lion aware, so to speak. Be bear aware. He's a lion. That's different. What does the enemy do? He lies. He's the first liar, the best liar. He plants thoughts in our heads, especially during trauma that we think are our own. He's a liar. He blinds. He makes it so we can't see the truth. He makes what should be obvious invisible. He masquerades. He 
presents himself as what's right. He, the Bible calls, calls it an angel of light. He looks like Jesus as much as he can. He masquerades. He tricks. He can do signs and wonders. He can really look like Jesus a lot. There's even a text that Jesus said, it says, even if it, if it were possible, he would deceive even the elect. Meaning that he's a tricky dude. And he really presents himself in a way that makes him look like Jesus. He tempts. If he, took, if he followed Jesus into the wilderness and tempted the Son of God, what do you think he's going to do to you? Okay? So he tempts us with things that, that give him a foothold. He plucks God's promises and God's words out of our mind. You doubt me? Uh, try and memorize a verse. Find a, a scripture that you really like. Try to memorize that thing, and you'll get it. You'll be first thing in the morning, you got it. By lunchtime, you won't even remember there is a Bible. He plucks things out of your mind. He causes sickness. Jesus released a woman who had been oppressed by the devil for 14 years. She was bent over. Okay? If Jesus dealt with it, we're dealing with it. Stop thinking that Jesus' world was exceptional. It was not. It was normal. So he can cause sickness. He kills. He manipulates. He lies. He takes away so much hope that you take your own life or he causes someone else so much hope they, hopelessness that they take someone else's life. And he fights us. He's always fighting us, always resisting us. He doesn't want our purpose to be fulfilled. He doesn't want you close to the shepherd. He doesn't want you praying. He doesn't want you looking at the city in which you live as a place where goodness and grace can be. He wants to discourage you every step of the way. He wants to keep you locked away from anything good as possible in your life. And lastly, and most importantly, and this is what gives him any kind of foothold, is he accuses us. Yep. He, he's always accused. Any of you guys ever have a child that was the informer? <laughs> Johnny, he, he was doing this. and That's the devil. He's the informer to, uh, creation of God. He's always telling on you to the judge. Always, always, always. All of this to say this to you. A lot of people are losing their faith nowadays. A lot of people are walking away, not just from the church. I understand the challenges of being a church quite, quite well. Steve and I have a conversation about that almost on a weekly basis and how to combat it. I'm talking about walking away from God and Jesus. And his word. Every, the enemy's lies and blindness are to set to attack the goodness of God, the, uh, uh, the trustworthiness of Scripture, the presence and reality of Jesus at every turn. In fact, what I see more and more, and it's just driving me crazy, is it seems like God is always on trial in, in so many people's lives. They start having difficulties, and their first question isn't, how can I destroy the works of the enemy here? Their first question is, I, think, I don't think God exists. Does God really exist if this bad thing is happening? Is God really good if this bad thing is happening? The enemy has masterfully twisted the argument so that everyone's faith is always on trial. This is a newish development, guys. This is not something I've seen most of my life. It's always been there. But what I've seen over my life is that when people go through hard times, they turn to God, not put Him on trial. There is nothing more serious in your life than your faith. You have an appointment with God. You get there without a faith. It's not going to go well. You understand that, right? Don't lose your faith. Don't lose your faith. Fight for it. Get everything around you to, agree, to support its success. Surround yourself with people who are pursuing Jesus. Not, not just who go to church, but are actually after Jesus. Get, get in the Bible yourself. Spend time in relational prayer with God. Build your faith. Never, ever, ever should God go on trial in your life. There's only one person that should go on trial in your life, and that's you. Yep. 
If there's an issue, put you on trial. And then if you find something that should be gotten rid of, you repent of it and be done with it. You don't live in the guilt and the shame. You hand it right back to Jesus and you walk in freedom. Which leads us to the next one. Nothing is more important than your obedience to God. This, maybe this is hard, maybe it's not. Because when I read Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, I'm telling, and we're going to get into it here in a few weeks, it blows my mind. For example, love your enemies and bless those who persecute you. Yeah, that sounds easy. I guess we'll do that this Sunday. See, God is bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. And in heaven there is grace, there is mercy, but there is also holiness and there is justice. You cannot have grace and mercy without the holiness and the justice. They both must coexist. And so our lives, our lives are here for God's purposes. God didn't just put Adam in the garden and say, hey, Adam, here's a nice garden. Do your thing, man. That's not what he said. He said, hey, Adam, here's this, here's this amazing gift. It's perfect. It's good. I want you to improve upon it. I want you to steward it. You see, God gave Adam the job, the mission, the purpose. Guess what? You also have a mission a purpose, and a job from God. You know the great thing about being about God's purpose? He shows up and walks with you through it, just like he did Adam in the garden. I would have loved to have been party to some of those conversations. I could just hear Adam going through the garden, first with just God. They're going through, and Adam's like, you know, I think I'm going to put a hedge over there, and I think we're going to just kind of thin out this over here. And then Eve came along, and it got a lot more extensive. It's nothing's more important than your obedience to God. We are here to accomplish God's purposes, not our own. If we accomplish our, God's purposes, we will bless the world and we will rescue more and we will restore more. If we go about our purposes, we will harm and hinder the best purposes of God. And lastly, nothing, nothing is worth the loss of precious people because we majored on the minor. We all have our unique theological distinctives in this room. We believe the stuff we believe for various reasons. I am not willing to fight over it. Why? Because the issue is rescuing the perishing. Michael Maynard Rant, this is not in Scripture. I'm sick and tired of hearing Christians and theologians argue about stuff that doesn't matter to a world that's on the broad way to destruction. I'm not saying those things shouldn't be discussed. Yes, discuss them. But don't fight and divide over them. That's what I'm saying. And so I don't want to sit over here and get all of my theological distinctives right, meaning that everyone, that I only allow people into my circle that I agree with. That's what that means. Birds of a feather flock together. If the flock is buzzards, it doesn't matter what they agree on. <laughs> Think about it. You'll get it later. The issue is to rescue the perishing, to care for the dying. The world has no hope, guys. It never has. Yes, we've lived through the industrial ages and the technological ages and the golden ages of our season in this country. That doesn't mean there was hope. That just meant there were a lot of distractions. A lot of wealth and affluence that hid a real poverty which is a people without God. We're here to rescue. Let's not lose focus on that mission. And let's get involved in that mission. Let's be a part of it. Find a place, your place, that God's called you to be and get involved from a kingdom perspective. Yes, you can get involved in things in the world, passions that you might have in nonprofit organizations or in our community or even in politics, God forbid. But bring the kingdom to those places. Be a child of God in those places. Bring hope. Make sure that every room you walk in is better for you having walked into it. You are that powerful. 
You are, why, how do I know that? Because Jesus lives in you. And Jesus never walked into a situation that he did not radically change for the better. And that is the same with you. I'm releasing champions and warriors. That's what we're doing at Ordinary Faith. And that's what we'll keep doing until they, I don't know, put me in the ground or us in the ground, whoever. We'll keep releasing champions to go out and fight for lives, souls. Let's pray. Father, thank you. I know it's just a heavy message. <clears throat> it's awesome, though, to, to be able to talk about heavy things with so much hope. Not just with hope, but like fearlessness. To be able to tell the children of God how strong and powerful they are, that is my favorite thing to do. Lord, I I am praying for just a radical transformation in this community that comes out of the believers in it, not just ordinary faith, but every church. There are some great churches in this town that love you, that love your word, that love the Holy Spirit, and they want to bring the kingdom of God, the healing of God, the restoration of God, the rescue of God to the city, and I thank you for it. And Lord, I just ask that you'd release it And Lord, we don't care who gets the credit. We want you to get the credit, actually. I pray, Lord, that you raise up warriors out of this house to join the kingdom collective that is bringing the new culture to this place. And Lord, I also celebrate those who are going to be baptized next Sunday. New new lives into the kingdom, enlisted training, growing, so that they can help rescue others who will do the same. So I pray, Lord God, that you would raise us up mighty and powerful. You would just squash all fear and replace it with courage and fearlessness. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If if you need to talk about baptism, I'm going to be over here as we sing.